Welcome to the Insight Podcast. Today, my guest is Jamie Clements. Jamie is a breathwork coach who wants to help you optimize your well-being and performance through breath, your nervous system, and subconscious mind. I talked to Jamie about how the way we breathe affects our training and athletic performance, how simple changes can help you recover quicker, sleep better, and feel calmer, nasal breathing, mouth taping, and much more. Enjoy the episode. Right, so Jamie, I'm a bit of an amateur athlete myself. You know, I dabble in a bit of some half marathons, high rocks workouts, um, you know, a bit of football, yoga, that kind of thing. And, and I'm really interested in how breathing can affect my performance and my training. Um, so c- can we start there? Can you tell me a little bit about this link between the way we breathe and our training and performance? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, it's a really... I like starting here because it's a, a different starting point to where where I would normally start a conversation like this, and it's something that I I've got a you know a long sporting history as well, and keep, like to keep myself fit, and and I found myself more and more taking a real interest in this side of of this work. So when I talk to people about breathing and exercise and breathing and performance and where breathwork fits into the kind of athletic puzzle, um, what we're really talking about is is two two broad areas. So we look at the, the role of the breath in terms of managing our psychology. And so actually, when that comes to performance, we're talking about things like pre-matched nerves, we're talking about mm. managing energy, we're talking about recovery afterwards, and, and the mental picture. You know, it's a physical picture as well, but the mental picture around performance. And that's really interesting because a lot of the elite athletes that I work with, I think I always go into the, the first call or conversation with them, expecting them to talk about physical performance. And most of them want to talk about stress and anxiety and nerves and and that side of things. And so that tends to be a big factor. But really in terms of the physiology of breathing and performance, what we're ultimately talking about is breaking breathing and respiration down to its, its basics, which is this gas exchange of bringing in oxygen and removing carbon dioxide from our system. Now, that is the process, whether you're sat still as we are right now, or whether you are running, whether you're sprinting, whether you're playing football, whatever it is, that process is continually um, moving. But we have a bit of a, I suppose, misunderstanding around the role of carbon dioxide in particular. Mm. So this is what a lot of this work is underpinned by, is a, a better understanding and a better application of carbon dioxide and, and understanding that in our, our physiology. So this isn't necessarily going to be the most brief and punchy answer, but I think it's important to cover cover the important bases. So <clears throat> essentially, when we breathe, actually at rest and during exercise, the majority of the population will be breathing beyond what their body actually needs to. So what we call over-breathing. Mm. And a few people sort of raise their eyebrows go, over-breathing, how can I breathe too much? But actually, this is about optimizing the balance of oxygen and carbon dioxide in your system and optimizing the delivery of that oxygen that is in your system to your tissues, to your cells, to your muscles. And if we think about that from a performance perspective, we want to maximize that oxygen efi- delivery and oxygen efficiency in the tissues and the, and the system that we're, we're working with. Now, carbon dioxide, 
while we think of it often as a waste gas of metabolic processes and something we want to get rid of, um, is actually a really important piece of that puzzle when it comes to oxygen delivery. So the basic way to explain this is that having the right levels or optimal levels of CO2 in your system creates the right environment for oxygen to be released from your red blood cells into the tissues. So if you think about it, our um, blood oxygen saturation is always typically, unless we're doing something like altitude training, going to be sat between 95 and 99%. Mm. So tons of oxygen in the blood. Um, and how do we get that uh, oxygen to be released from the red blood cells? So oxygen has a really tight bond to, to uh, hemoglobin in the red blood cells. And it needs the blood needs to become acidic enough and carbon dioxide creates that acidity to create that release from the red blood cells into the tissues. So we're getting, <laughs> we're getting to the point gradually. It's good. This, this is the bore effect, if I'm right, is that? The bore effect, yeah? exactly bore right, effect. exactly right. So... <laughs> What we want to look at is if we're saying most of us overbreathe, so yes. we are overbreathing and in doing so, expelling more carbon dioxide than is required. Yeah, then we are going to be minimizing the amount of oxygen released from the red blood cells and tissues. And so, when it comes to training and performance, what we're ultimately teaching people to do is first and foremost consciously breathe, so understand how they're breathing at a given level of intensity, but then breathe less. So that's kind of the fundamental principle is, can you learn and train your system to breathe lighter, to breathe slower, to breathe more gently, to breathe through the nose at higher levels of intensity? Mm. So where to go next with this? I think <laughs> there are a few different ways that we can, we can look at this, but essentially what we're looking to do, and a lot of the work that I, I do with athletes is around uh, improving their tolerance to rising levels of CO2 in their system. So we can talk about increasing CO2 tolerance, but also talking about increasing our tolerance to air hunger, which is this rising kind of that feeling of needing to breathe. Mm -hmm. And the way in which we do that is we start training people towards nasal breathing. So a lot of people, you know, the classic example that we give is someone who's out on a run and the number of people you'll run past as you're out on a jog who are jogging, maybe at their 10K pace, whatever it might be, kind of gentle pace, and they are going <sighs> yeah. and panting through the mouth. And I think this is subconscious and conscious because we're going, well, I'm, I need more air. And so yeah. I need to breathe more, get more air in, get more CO2 out. But, actually, but it's, almost, it's almost as well like that you want to look like you're trying really hard, <laughs> don't you? Exactly. I think you see that in the gym as well. But anyway. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 uh, but in, in trying harder, if we call breathing more trying harder, you're actually gassing yourself out more quickly. So yeah. you're going to experience yeah. breathlessness more quickly. You're actually going to get tired more quickly. You're going to fatigue more quickly. And so we've talked a lot. I've, I've rambled a lot about the, the the theory here and the science and the Bohr effect, but actually what we're looking at in terms of the pragmatic practical benefits of um, improving that tolerance to air hunger, nasal breathing adaptation is one, better breathing efficiency. So you're actually mm. breathing less, breathe, taking less breaths per minute at the same level of intensity. We're increasing aerobic capacity. So we're actually working with our energy systems and increasing our aerobic capacity. And we're also going to be um, delaying the onset of breathlessness, delaying the onset of fatigue, and then slightly more subjective measures like perceived level of stress and exertion. Mm -hmm. And to take that example, if you're breathing super heavy, your mind is going to respond in a way that is 
imitating and experiencing stress. And so if you're breathing less, there's some great imagery from 100 meter sprinters and some 100 meter sprinters who look so calm. And the person in the lane next to them is mouth open, shoulders up. Whereas actually the person who's leading that race is mouth closed, jaw mm. soft, and just really, they look calm. And so it's, it's that as well. We're actually exerting less stress on our nervous system when we learn to breathe less and breathe more efficiently during exercise. Yeah. Not a ramble at all, mate. Like I'm <laughs> loving it. Absolutely loving it. And do you think there's kind of like an element of trusting yourself? Like I've found that when I'm starting to train hard, I, c- I can feel that air hunger, if you want to call it that. Like I can feel like I want to breathe heavier and I'm, I'm losing a bit of control and I'm getting a bit um, kind of like, it's like a stress effect. But I just, I tell myself to just trust myself and keep my breathing slow and keep it, you know, that proper deep diaphragmatic breathing and just everything kind of like continues. And you find that even with, I suppose, like your a seated practice, maybe if you're, you're doing mm-hmm. your breath work and you're trying to extend the exhales or maybe doing a bit of box breathing and holding your breath. And it's like, it's learning to trust yourself. And I think like for me, I, I've had asthma since I was young. I had whooping cough when I was a, a baby and then that turned to asthma. You know, I've had asthma all, all my life and it's, it's really difficult when you're holding your breath or doing those long exhales because it reminds you of what it was like when I was a child in hospital and struggling to breathe like it felt like someone was sitting on my chest. It was horrible. Um, but kind of learning to, to, to lean into that and get through it has, has had a profound effect on, on my life completely. So it, it's all just making sense. And I just think it's such, um, it's such valuable work. And, and if only more you know, the general population, but also athletes knew about it. 100% mate and and you've hit on a really interesting and important point there which is um we talked there a lot about you know CO2 tolerance and mm. increasing our capacity to tolerate rising carbon dioxide in our system and that's a part of it there's physiological adaptations that can occur within the body however what we're now starting to see in some of the more recent research is that actually a large part of this increased air hunger tolerance your ability to breathe less at higher levels of exertion is mental and emotional. Oh, really? And so it is more or less what you've described there. It's, it's actually being able to relax into it. It's being able mm. to go, I'm fine. I'm safe in the face of what is a stressor rising in your system. And so actually there's a, an amazing guy down in uh, New Zealand called Dave Wood, um, who does a lot of work with, well, I was going to say he does a lot of work with uh, UFC athletes in in New Zealand, but he basically works with every elite athlete in New Zealand now um, right. because he is he is the guy. And um, I've spoken a bit through through socials with with Woody, and um, his work's fantastic. But actually, his his workshops and the the work that he does with athletes is is all entitled "Calm Under Pressure," and what he is trying to train through breathing less through breath holds, through um, everything we've talked about in terms of the training that you can do to, to get that nasal adaptation is about putting the mind under stress and the body under stress and learning how to remain calm in the face of that. And that is so broadly applicable into life, into sport, into everything. It's not just about, can you learn to hold your breath for longer? It's, can you actually learn to tolerate stress beyond what you thought you were capable of tolerating. And that is 
you know, we can talk about the science all day, but that to me is like the overarching benefit here is learning to rewire that self-talk that shows up mm -hmm. when you are really gassed, when you are feeling fatigued during exercise and, and that side of it as well is, is really key. Um, and I find that side of it really fascinating because it is just, again, changing that, that inner dialogue in the face of that, that rising stress. Yeah. And I think that's where we see the benefits of getting into a, an ice bath. You know, you've, you've, you're choosing to do something that is extremely uncomfortable and stressful. But if you can remain calm and you can focus on your breath, it's kind of like, well, if I could do that, then what else can I do? Kind of thing. And the, yeah, the, the way you can apply it. So really interesting. So what about, um, kind of simple things for maybe someone that is they're not a professional athlete but they are someone that likes to train and maybe they're training three four five day um, times a week and they are you know looking for, the, for that little thing that might be able to help their performance is it a case of some simple practices to slow down the breath like you were saying is it practices where we might incorporate breath holds what if you could recommend i don't know so one thing that someone could go away and do what what might it be for sure so I think the, the the headline that we already touched upon a couple of times is breathe less. Like right. that would be breathe less and breathe through your nose. Um, <laughs> and then within that, um, there's a really interesting, I guess, concept um, that I think was first curated by a guy called Brian McKenzie over in the US, who's, who's really mm. interesting in this space from a performance perspective. And they talk about the breathing gears. So this breathing gear system where we're actually working up through the energy systems through from aerobic into anaerobic. Um, and essentially gear one would be gentle, slow nasal breathing. Gear two would be slightly more active, still through the nose, but heavier nasal breathing. When you then reach a certain point where that's no longer um, possible, you'd go in through the nose, out of the mouth. And then eventually you would reach top gear, which is in and out of the mouth. And so it's actually being able to understand that process. And actually, once you can lock that in, you go, okay, regardless of what kind of exercise I'm doing, I'm going to start off breathing through my nose as slowly as I can. I'm going to be more conscious of how I'm breathing. When it starts to build up, when I do need to start breathing more, when because your body needs more oxygen and does need to get rid of more CO2, breathe more heavily through the nose. As that becomes less manageable, in through the nose, out of the mouth, and only sort of at sprint intensity and ultra high intensity would you go to the, through the mouth. And so I think if, if I can leave people with anything, it would just be that. Like the next time you enter into some, some form of training, uh, we're not talking so much here about um, heavy lifting and strength work. There's sort of different principles that would apply. This is very much more around aerobic and moving into to right. kind of anaerobic training as well. Um, that would be the thing that I would leave people with. And then on top of that, um, looking into simple breath hold practices as well. So um, static breath hold practices, something called CO2 tables that free divers use, um, which is really just about getting, as we've discussed, getting people familiar and comfortable with that physical and mental response to air hunger and being able to learn that they can actually, and this is what underpins all of freediving ultimately, is learning to essentially meditate in the face of discomfort um, mm -hmm. and meditate in the face of that severe kind of rising air hunger. Um, so yeah, that would probably be where I would want, want people to start. Mm -hmm. Because when you feel the need to breathe, if I understand correct, it's not because your body needs oxygen, it's because the CO2 levels have risen to a certain point that that's why you need to, that you get that 
breath hunger. Is that right? Exactly. Yeah. So that that typically air hunger, yeah, air hunger is characterized by that that rising CO two, um, right, which right. comes back to what we were saying before around um, our blood oxygen saturation doesn't really waver mm. too far from ninety five percent at the lower end, unless we're doing something pretty extreme. Um, and there's actually a little um, interesting sort of personal experience that I've had with this. I was doing some. Um, underwater pool training, breath hold training with carrying dumbbells and, and that sort of thing. Um, and it was the first time I'd ever done it. This was last year. And um, the guy said, right, you're going to do there and back doing a farmer's walk with some dumbbells on, on a single breath. And I was like, okay, that seems reasonable. Got there, there and back. And I was feeling pretty gassed. And he was like, okay, next time I want you just to walk slower, walk smoother and imagine that you're just going for a stroll in the park. So there was a bit of physical there around like efficiency of movement. So you're not burning through oxygen and you're not increasing CO2 excessively, but then also the mental and emotional side of it, where it's saying, calm down, relax. And literally the next go, I went from there and back to there and back twice. So I doubled the, the length of which I was able to hold my breath underwater. And that was for me when the penny dropped and I was like, huh, it's not just a physical piece, this. This is very much yeah, yeah, yeah. tied to the mental and emotional piece. Nice, nice. So before we get on to more around nasal breathing, can, I was wondering about the, the kind of recovery aspect as well. I think I'm seeing more people now kind of at the end of their gym workouts and, and things um, taking that time. Maybe it's just five minutes to slow their breathing down. And, and I suppose on a simple level, is it that, is it that right, you, you finished your workout, now you want to go into recovery mode. We know that that's when we grow, isn't it? That's when we build muscle. That's when we make improvements in our performance is the recovery after the stress. So it makes sense that you would dedicate some time to that. So this, this seems to be really good to see. Um, so so is that something you'd recommend? Is it something we should be doing after a gym workout? Another thing that I think is that do I sometimes experience the benefit of that? Because I try and be very disciplined, disciplined about stretching after a workout. And so I'll stretch and I'll always, you know, I'll try and focus on my breathing as well and slow it down. You know, if I do some kind of yoga inspired stretches, then I'm focusing on my breath and slowing it down. So I wonder if I'm kind of getting the benefits of both there, the, the stretching of the muscles, but also that, that breath work as well. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, this is, again, something that comes very early in the conversation when I work with people on the performance side of, of stuff, because it's so important, the recovery right. piece. And I think, as you said, you know, more and more people are starting to, to cotton on to this. You know, we can train as hard as we like, but if we're not recovering properly, then we're not going to get the, the maximal benefits. We're not going to be yeah. able to train as quickly again when we want to. Um, and yeah, I think so what I always talk about and, and what we're seeing more and more of it is really just an emphasis here on, on state management and arousal management. So this is about saying your body, when you're training, goes into stress because that's what we're looking to do. We're looking to create that hormetic stress, that positive stressor to create positive adaptations. But that state, the stress state, is not the same state that will serve you at home with your family when you're trying to sleep, when you're trying to watch TV, when you're actually trying to relax. And this is what we see both in terms of stress like work stress, but also in, in the context of, of physical stress and, and hormetic stress. Um, so what we need to do is make sure 
or give ourselves the best possible chance of closing that loop. So we've gone, right, we're up into stress, we're training, we're training, we're training. Now we're done. You could stay up here for the next two hours and gradually start to come down, or you can give yourself five, 10 minutes at the end of the workout to bring yourself off a, a sharper cliff and mm -hmm. down into that deeper state of recovery. And so this is really about managing your nervous system state um, and taking us back out of that sympathetic stress response down into our rest and digest response, the recovery part of the nervous system, so that you can start that process earlier. You can get better sleep, which again aids that recovery. And it's really just bringing us out of high stress into that, that recovery state. And so simple things like you've touched on there, you know, I saw actually a clip from Huberman today about this as well, talking about, you know, things like meditation, things like extended exhale breathing, a bit of box breathing. What you're doing as well is, you know, perfect kind of example of habit stacking as well. Cause for some mm -hmm. people they're like, oh, like I don't just want to, you know, I've been here for an hour. I've been in the gym for an hour. I don't want to spend 10 minutes lying down to just breathe. So can I stretch and breathe and can I get additional benefits? And, and there are so many different ways to get yourself down into that relaxation and recovery response. The breath is just one of the most accessible and most kind of pragmatic ways of getting there. So just really, you know, um, for me, it's a minimum you know, three to five minutes will be, you know, a starting point. If you've got five to 10 minutes, even better. There's no kind of upper limit with this. It's just really allowing yourself to, to slow back down. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Right. So onto nasal breathing then, because it seems to be talked about a lot more now and you, you've already talked about how this is something that we're aiming to do in, in performance, but, um, sorry, in, in training and, and in sport and things, but what is, why is it, why is it that we're encouraging athletes to breathe through their nose? And I think that the other interesting thing that I found that you mentioned was, was those gears that you were working through, because I, I seem to hear like a bit of both, like some people talking about even, even at intense, um, activity, you could still be breathing through your nose. And I'm like, oh man, that must be so difficult to do to, to keep trying. Like I know that even when I try to, you know, up the pace of my run and, and keep breathing through my nose, I quickly start to struggle. Um, is it something that we should be aiming for even at high intensity? Is it just thinking more about that steady state stuff and then working through the gears like you've mentioned? Um, but also why is it, why is it that I should try and breathe through my nose more when I'm, when I'm running, when I'm playing sport, whatever it is. For sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think, um, this is where I think it's quite important to distinguish between training and competition or, right. um, yeah, whatever the, whatever your version of competition would be. Um, if we are training our respiratory capacity, if we're training our aerobic capacity, if we're really looking to, to get these adaptations that we've talked about in terms of air hunger tolerance, then there is a place for pushing into exceptionally high intensity and trying to maintain nasal breathing because that's where you're actually going to go. Okay. I, I, you're training your system up into that space where you go, okay, I can tolerate this here so that when I come back to using the gears again, I move more slowly up through those gears. So that shift into from nasal breathing into in through the nose out of the mouth might happen at a higher level of intensity to what it used to. Mm. So that's where if we're specifically looking to train what we've talked about in terms of that air hunger tolerance, then there is a place for high intensity nasal breathing. 
So I think that's probably the first piece is if you're going away from this conversation going, yeah, I want to give that a try. That is something you could look to implement. When it comes to maximizing performance. So if we're thinking about competition, um, you know, your high rocks, great example, you know, your, you can do that in your high rocks training, maybe try and stay nasal breathing for your high rocks workout. It's going to be savage, but give it a go. Um, <laughs> but then when it actually comes to the competition, you don't want to do that because actually you'll reach a point where you actually do want to breathe a little bit more because you oh, do okay. need to, to bring in, you know, the oxygen and get rid of the CO2 to kind of create that shift from aerobic into anaerobic as well. Um, and there, that's where the training that you have done previously on your air hunger tolerance can pay off because you then come back to using the gears. And really with the gears, what we're looking to do is move up through those gears as slowly as possible to maximize efficiency and come down through those gears when we're recovering as quickly as possible. And so that's sort of the principle when it comes to where do we draw the line on nasal breathing, I suppose. Mm. Um, in terms of why, um, really it comes down to a few different factors. The first being, again, this kind of headline fact of, of breathing less. The, the nose is a smaller vessel, naturally slows the air down. Um, and so that creates greater breathing efficiency just straight off the bat. We're breathing less and that's good. The nose is also just designed for breathing. So we get this sort of filtration process, this humidifying process, and it also takes the, um, the air deeper into the lungs. So breathing through the nose allows us typically a deeper breath. We then also get this release of nasal nit nitric oxide. So this is sort of a sub benefit of nasal breathing, which is a release of nasal nit nitric oxide, nitric oxide is great for circulation, also great for blood pressure. So it's a vasodilator. So it opens up the blood vessels, helps that blood flow and that circulation. So again, that's going to be positive in terms of, of performance. When it comes to other benefits of, of the nose for, for performance, it'll be a continuation of stuff we've touched upon. So in increased oxygen delivery. So greater oxygen delivery to the cells because of that bore effect, reduced um, sympathetic activity. So reduce stress on the system because we are breathing less, we're breathing slower. And as well as that, I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's important. Um, I guess top line of the result of those things, greater endurance, less breathlessness, yeah. less fatigue. Um, essentially, the, what did I say the other day about this? It was bre breathwork and performance is about delaying the time... Uh, delaying the point at which you are out of breath. So delaying into the future, how long it takes you to gas out and enhancing the speed at which it takes you to catch your breath again. So how oh, slowly, okay. how long does it take you to lose your breath and how quickly can you catch it again? And that's really where the breath training and the breath work element of this comes in is actually understanding how to use the breath, how to use the gears, why we're doing it and then putting it into practice. Yeah. And that is something that I found, I'm sure, in the last couple of years when I've really started to um, practice this stuff, is I feel like I recover much quicker, not just kind of day to day, which I've definitely noticed a difference in that, that I can do a pretty hard workout and then the next day I'm ready to go again. But also like in, in my sets, it's like, give me like a minute and a half and I'm feeling way better than I think I used to after a minute and a half before and kind of ready to go. Um 
the other thing that I do now is is once a week I'll go for you know I'm, I'm well into this this zone two training that there's a lot of talk about now as, as well isn't there I'm well into that and so one one day a week I'll do a steady 45 to an hour minute run and I will try and breathe through my nose the entire time and at, the, at this point now I, I breathe through my nose for for the for most of that run unless I've got a cold unless you know the weather something like that maybe allergies and which is always a bit frustrating. But mm. the, the first time I tried to do that, though, was about two or three years ago. And I could take one breath through my nose. And then I just completely was like, <sighs> like panicking for breath and would have to like stop, try again. But to, <laughs> this is why I just think it's incredible to go from that to now just breathing so clearly through my nose, like for, for a whole 60 minutes and just feeling so good and so calm as I run. And I feel like it just really helps my recovery as well. Like then I'm ready for another week of training in the gym and, and, and you know, weights and things like that. Um, where am I going with this? <laughs> it was just where the, the, I, I was like from a young age, I've, I've always had a really stuffy nose as well. It's always mm. been blocked. I've always struggled to breathe through my nose. Um, you know, friends, family would all notice it. And, you know, it was, it was a bit embarrassing at some points, the fact that you're like kind of gasping for breath and things, but like what I found was, was following like a series of steps when I started to really get into breath work. So first I did those kind of breathing out through the nose, pinching my nose, holding it, maybe moving a bit. And as I understand it, that was kind of building up my CO2, which kind of helped release everything, helped loosen everything up, that vasodilator. And so I did that. Then I would try it kind of walking. So I'd breathe out through Mm -hmm. my nose, pinch my nose, hold it and do that for say 10, 20 steps, whatever it is. And that's what then built and built and meant that now I can go for these longer runs, completely breathing through my nose. And we talked before about how that then affects the, the things that you can do in training that then affect your kind of your wider life. And if there's anything that has affected my wider life, it's been that. The fact that mm. I've worked on my nasal breathing now, it's like I feel more kind of, I feel more calm. I feel like I'm able to eat slower and more relaxed. I feel like I'm maybe getting like a blocked nose and stuffy less um, than I used to. And so all these things, just because I took a little bit of time and, and followed those steps. So I guess what I'm wondering is, is that kind of, are those things that you've done with your clients? Is it things that you looked into? Like, would you recommend? Because I, I just want to tell everyone about it. I just want to say to everyone, come on, try this because it could make such a difference to you. What What do you think? I think you, you've you said all that needs to be said. Mate. <laughs> yeah, no, um, in all seriousness, no, all seriousness though, th- those are steps that I would take a client through, you know, exactly oh, okay. that. I think even if we're not talking about athletic performance explicitly this stuff around air hunger tolerance carbon dioxide can impact all of us really positively um there are some simple kind of assessments and measures that that, pe- that i do with my clients and that people can do to just check where their starting point is because you know there'll be some people who this this doesn't really affect a huge amount because they're already naturally by you know fortune or, or kind of natural good habits not struggling with it but for other people Mm. people that i work with they come in and we do these assessments it's like wow okay this could actually be a factor in what you're experiencing with anxiety because if you're particularly sensitive to co2 it actually starts to spike activity in the amygdala and so where that fear center of the brain is more kind of on edge more hyper vigilant because we are particularly sensitive to to carbon dioxide and air hunger and so 
what yeah what we what we look at and and the benefits that we see around this um you know I, i'm running a, a live course online course at the moment and the people someone asked yesterday you know okay so i understand that i want to improve this but um, is the only end result of this that i'll be able to hold my breath for longer and i'm actually like that's the measure that's not the mm. outcome that's actually the measure like that's what we want to see improving but the knock on benefits could be reduced anxiety could be better sleep could be um less breathlessness it could be improvements in a- asthma symptoms it could be less nasal congestion it could be you know it could even be things like secondary benefits of like improved mood more energy you know all of these subtle things that can make a big difference to people and so yeah i'm you know obviously somewhat biased but i'm on the same page <laughs> as you of just like more people need to know about this and just just the understanding of the role of breathing the role of of air hunger the role of all of this stuff in our our overall physiology and our our nervous system is is really key um and also to come to your first point around when you first started trying to breathe through your nose running um i've been there myself so many people <laughs> are, you know i work with particularly runners I'm like right next time you go out for a 5k or 10k nasal only and they come back and they either say I could only do it for 2 minutes and then I had to go back to how I breathe normally or they come back to me and say my PB for a 5k was 22 minutes and I've just run a 26 minute 5k yeah, nasal yeah. breathing I thought you told me this would make my performance better <laughs> and I go ah here we are up against the ego and up against patience because there is a bit of a process here of a couple of steps back to take a lot of steps forward because yeah, yeah. you have to slow down to make those adaptations to get used to breathing in that way and then you get this sort of propulsion forward as a result of it um especially when it comes to long runs you know the impact of perceived stress and and sympathetic activity oxygen delivery just means that you're a lot more comfortable and a lot more relaxed for a lot longer and you can just sort of i i see people who can just you know it's not me i've never been a runner but people who can just go and go and go and yeah there's there's a real a real place for this understanding of breath and and breathing efficiency in that puzzle yeah and so now we have to Jamie talk about mouth, mouth taping don't we we have to well, yeah we can't not <laughs> Because you did a great post recently, hype or help. Um, so yeah, come on, mouth taping, because I'm definitely seeing both sides of the story on social media. You know, even past guests on this podcast, people that I know, I'm seeing both sides, people that are saying, no, it's it's too much, it's not mm. necessary, and other people that swear by it. I know what I think, but that, that's not what this episode is about. It's about what yeah. expert thinks. <laughs> um, so the the honest answer is is it's a bit of both. It's hype oh, and help. God, so boring. Come on, uh, boring and nuanced. I know. <laughs> I need to pick a side. No, it's just it's it's mainstream media and social media doing what it does best, which is of saying course. either it's a load of rubbish and it's going to kill you, or it's going to cure all of your problems. And unfortunately, <laughs> it's not going to do either of those. Um, so. My boring balanced view on this is that it absolutely has a place and it mm. absolutely can benefit people if you fall into the camp of being generally fit and healthy. So you're not obese, you're not, you don't have any cardiovascular issues, you don't have any significant health issues. 
if you don't have sleep apnea. Um, so we don't typically, it depends on the cause of the sleep apnea, but as a blanket sort of safety piece, if you have sleep apnea, not the best idea either. Uh, there are other kind of paths to go down first, but if you are fit and healthy, no sleep apnea, um, no obvious medical contraindications, um, but you do believe that you breathe through your mouth while you sleep and particularly people who struggle with chronic chronic stress and just sort of mm -hmm. overwhelm in general, um, then I think there is absolutely a huge amount of benefit to gain. Um, again, in terms of a lot of the benefits we've already discussed from, yeah. from the exercise conversation, retraining to breathe through the nose, less stress activation, less dehydration. So a lot of people, they go, how would I know I'm breathing through my mouth when I sleep? It's like, you'll know because you'll wake up and you'll have a dry mouth, you'll feel fatigued, brain fog, you know, all of this stuff. Um, and so if if that's the camp of people that you fall into of, of generally fit and healthy, but pretty confident you're a mouth breather at night, then I genuinely believe it has a huge amount in terms of being low hanging fruit that can do a, yes. a big amount of, of positive benefit um, for people. So yeah, yeah that's, my, that's my stance on it. Nice. That's good enough. It's good enough. <laughs> and so people that might want to try it, it's, it's a case of just getting kind of well, like a bit of medical tape, isn't it? Um, and then just putting that kind of like making a, a small strip placed over your mouth so you can still breathe out of either side of your mouth. Um, yeah. Anything else you'd add like for anyone who wants to set themselves up for, for trying it? Yeah, I would say um, what I experienced myself about four years ago when I first started trying it and what I see in quite a lot of my clients um, is that they will get into bed, they'll put the tape on, try and fall asleep. And about 20 minutes, half an hour, an hour later, they're feeling a little bit kind of gaspy, that air hunger is yeah. built up and they're like, I'm never going to fall asleep like this because I feel stressed and a bit panicky. If that is the case, very, very normal. And that's just a mm. signifier of that sensitivity to air hunger. And so where I would get people to start would be things a little bit like stuff that you've already mentioned around um, nasal breathing during exercise, maybe some breath holds as they walk, maybe some static breath holds so that you're actually getting your body used to that level of CO2 so that when you put the mouth tape on, it's a little bit less jarring. It's a little bit less foreign. Um, and also people can try, I often get clients to try mouth taping in the evening, you know, just oh, while okay. they're awake to kind of get used to breathing less, particularly if you're a chronic mouth breather. It's just a really good practice to get you familiar with breathing through the nose, retrain some healthier breathing habits, um, and yeah, get them familiar with that, that sensation of air hunger and get some of those adaptations going on. So, um, mm. yeah, most people I know will go with the vertical kind of strip of tape. Yeah. Some people do go with a horizontal, um, just to be a little bit more, um, heavy duty. Um, it's not something, you know, this is where the, the cynics on mouth tape will be like, Oh, it's dangerous. What if you choke? What if you're sick in the night? You know, these are very much fringe cases. It's like, Sure. If you've been out and you're absolutely pissed out of your mind, don't mouth tape. Certainly probably don't, don't try mouth tape. Yeah, yeah, probably don't mouth tape. <laughs> I, I can't believe I have to say that on a podcast, but you know, it's it's just all part of it. It's like be this is where it's like headline: be safe, be responsible, don't be an idiot, and do your own research if you're unsure if it's going to be safe for you. Um, mm. But for the majority of fit, healthy people, um, 
who do think they are mouth breathers, then I would definitely look to get them started with something that heads them towards mouth taping um, and getting them comfortable with that, that air hunger tolerance as well. Nice one. That's great. Okay. And finally, we talked about, well, on, on mouth taping is a great example that on how on social media, we can see kind of all kinds of different uh, opinions and, and conflict, but is there anything else that you well, not anything else, but is there anything that you see on social media around breath work that frustrates you, that kind of <laughs> boils your blood a little? How long you got? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I try and not be too, um, too cynical and judgmental around these things because I think, unfortunately, social media does this to not people necessarily, but just does this to, to topics and it's stuff we've, we've touched on already around just the, the polarization of it. The, I think the over probably over exaggeration of certain benefits of certain kind of, you know, yeah, I'd say that that probably covers it sort of just the real marketing side of it, the sales and marketing piece where I appreciate that that's a part of, of life, but, um, I don't love that it is a part of life and business where it's almost like we're having to overhype something to try and sell it to somebody. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's something that I constantly sort of come and go on myself because people have got to make a living and, and run a business. But when we're in the business of helping people, um, I think there need to be slightly different boundaries around how it's communicated and, and what you're, what you're telling people. Um, there are other things around the breathwork space that, that I find at times uh, frustrating to me. And I'm always really clear to make this a personal p- opinion. Um, <laughs> but when we're talking about breathwork more in the context of um, the healing realms of breathwork and emotional processing breathwork and, and altered states of consciousness, there's a lot of content out there used to promote that side of breathwork that is very... Um, it really focuses on these big trauma release, cathartic experiences that people have, you know, it almost looks like people are having, you know, exorcisms and, and, you know, shaking and their bodies are convulsing. And I know firsthand from having facilitated those experiences that that can happen. But my own personal stand on is that I'm never going to film and promote that happening. And I'm Mm. also not going to tell everyone that that is the experience that they should expect because it's just not realistic and it's not the truth. So again, it's just this slight marketing window that we have for this stuff that, that slightly goes awry. And then the final thing, and then I'll, I'll rant (laughs) over, I'll I'll get back on, get back off of my high horse, um, (laughs) is breathwork training and the regulation of the breathwork space. So breathwork, and I think it's important for everyone to know this, breathwork is an unregulated space. Um, There are industry bodies and um, like practitioner alliances and things like that that are looking to address this, but as a whole, it's unregulated. Um, And what that has meant is as breathwork's gotten more popular, more people wanting to come into the space, um, there are an increasing number of options for teacher trainings and facilitator trainings. A lot of them are very, very good. A lot of them are very, very bad. And really what I mean by bad isn't that people are sharing incorrect information. Perhaps there are some people doing that. But for me, again, we're talking more about this um, healing sort of trauma-informed end of the breathwork spectrum. There are people out there running one-day immersive trainings online 
and giving someone a certificate and saying, go out into the world and share this with other people. And that is so irresponsible. It's so yeah. reckless. It's so unsafe that I'm, I'm very happy to say it makes my blood boil because I just mm. think it's, it's not okay. You know, again, it's this, it's where wellness and healing meets capitalism and marketing because it's going, how can I maximize my bottom line, my profit, teacher training? How can I make this as appealing as possible to someone who wants to become a teacher or perhaps thinks they want to become a teacher, make it as short as possible. And so, you know, the training that I did in that, in that side of things was six months part-time with an additional six months of mentorship. And that to me, I honestly, at points I'm like, was that even enough? You know, I think there's, you know, there is so much, if you look at like the therapy space, you have supervision, you have years of training and, and we're talking about similar levels of depth that we're going to here. And so while I do feel safe and confident in my own facilitation of that now, um, these trainings just, just aren't good enough and, and are safe, uh, sorry, aren't safe. Um, so yeah, that's probably the main one that, that gets me. Um, and I think as an industry, we need to do quite a lot more and quite a lot better to, to regulate the space and, and make sure that people are um, practicing in the, in the right way and in a responsible way. Yeah. That's uh, important to put out there. A nice cheerful way to end the conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just me being ranty. Um, uh, yeah. But it had to be said, didn't it? And, and it's it, they're all completely valid points because of course there are going to be people that take advantage of this new interest and promise the world. Um, I've seen that. Like I, I, I looked into it. I did a course through a, um, a yoga studio and it, it was very, um, there was a lot of accountability and it, and it wasn't that one day course. And it was, um, they very much like were saying, don't, don't promise all these ridiculous benefits that you see on social media mm. around, yeah, around medical benefits and all that stuff. Just we stick to the, the basics, the, the fact that, some work around breath work could help you sleep better, could help your digestion, could help you feel calmer. And it's mad that like, that's not enough for people. Like, how is that not enough for people? <laughs> like, well, this, this it's, is... it's not sexy, is it? It's not incredible, but it's like everyone needs this stuff. And so we don't have to promise the world because actually if everyone was just getting those three benefits, like the world would be a different place. Honestly, this is where I've I've probably shifted a little bit in my work in the last year or so is I'm focusing so much more on the basics with people right, because right. that, you know, the basics can give you those things. And if the majority of people had those things in a consistent practice that continue to give them those things, they would feel, you know, 90% better than they do right now. And I yeah. really think that's where we're just like, it's a little bit, you know, it's both the the coach side and the client side where it's, you know, the client is looking for the magic bullet and yeah. the coach is looking to deliver a magic bullet. And so it's like, oh, we're kind of doing each, well, yeah, exactly. We're doing each other a bit dirty here because actually, yeah. and this is, you know, again, where it becomes less sexy, but I say to, you know, people I'm working with, I'm like, right, we're going to work together for six weeks. We're going to meet once a week. But if you don't do anything outside of the sessions that I give you on a daily basis, you're not going to see the benefits that you want to see. You're wasting your own time and you're wasting my time. You know, I don't really, I don't take quite as firm a line with that, but that's the long <laughs> that's and short good. of it, which is yeah. you've got to put in the work and the consistency to see the benefits that you want to see. And that is mm. not 
a sexy marketing message, um, but it is kind of the reality of it. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's important. It's important. Right. I finish every episode with the same three questions to every guest. And the first one is, what's one lesson you wish you'd have been taught when you were a child? Hmm. Um, I could very easily say something about breathing. Um, breathe, and yeah. I think that would be that would be probably where I would start and what you know I would love to to kind of pass down um I guess a, a less on brand one but still fairly on brand would be around I guess a meditative practice and an understanding that thoughts aren't things um mm. and really a I'd love a lesson an early lesson in meditation and in the observation of thoughts because I think that would be so so powerful if you could grow up cultivating that yeah, nice. Um, and I guess this could be kind of linked as well because you, you you might well be tempted to answer breath work for this one, but it's what's one habit that you uh, you think everyone should introduce to their lives, not should or could, to um, help them feel happier and healthier? Uh, it would be a 10 to 15 minute wind down practice at the end of their working day. So let's say it's five o'clock, right. six o'clock bookend the day similar to bookending a workout like exactly what we said there about switching off and actually actively switching off so it's sort of the process of active rest and recovery rather than just waiting for it to happen um so it'd be that and then again i sort of come back to meditation and it'd just be sitting still in silence mm -hmm. on your own for 15 minutes a day that would be you know if you do those two things life is changed for the better for sure, for sure. And um, if you could give everyone in the world one book, which book would you give them? Oof. <laughs> looking at my bookshelf. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, what book would I give them? We'll go with a classic, probably The, the Alchemist um, by Paolo Coelho. Nice. Yeah. I read that for the first time this summer, actually. I took it with me away to Italy. Yeah. It's, there's a reason that it's recommended so much, so much, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reason Good I stuff. give it to everyone is it, it's short as well. And yeah, it is. <laughs> if we're hoping that everyone's going to read a book, then we'll keep it short and punchy. Yeah. It's like the four agreements as well. That's a very short mm. book, but I, I see that recommended a lot. And yeah, same reason. Right. Jamie, thank you so much for your time today. Um, I've really enjoyed this one. It's something that I find interesting and I'm still looking into more and, and trying to kind of in incorporate these practices into my life and, and into my training as well. So I've, I've, I've learned a lot and I yeah, really appreciate your time. Amazing, mate. Thanks so much for having me. It's been great. Thank you for tuning in. I hope you found my conversation with Jamie insightful. If you did enjoy the episode, please do share it with friends, family and colleagues who you think would find it interesting too. You can also support the podcast by following and rating the show on whichever app you're listening on. Thank you again and I look forward to bringing you another episode soon.